Hello, personal productivity enthusiasts and community. Welcome to Anything But Idle, the productivity news podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Coworking Space by Personal Productivity Club. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. And I'm Augusto Pinot. And we're your hosts for Anything But Idle. This is episode 110-110 for June 13th, 2022. Uh, Outlook has a new version and the productivity news this week. Uh, we are going to, of course, do the productivity news and then the technology news. And first, we start off with our articles from the productivity world. Augusto, what is our first article this week? The first article this week came in Axios and is the world largest test for a four-day work week begin in the, or begun in the UK. And they are I think it's around 2,500 employees. No, 2,500. Uh, where is the number? 3,000 employees. 3,000 employees, sorry. 3,000 employees are all going for three months to work or to try to work and accomplish their responsibilities and everything four days a week. And having the same pay, you know, this in collaboration uh, with a couple of organizations, a couple of nonprofits. But... It is interesting, you know, I'm sure we are in the same discussions, not at the same speed, but at least similar discussions to what was when Henry Ford wanted to propose that crazy eight-hour workday that we now consider is normal. But it is going to be very interesting to follow this study and see what happened. Yeah, I think it, I think it's good. We need to we need to be understanding how remote work affects different parts of the economy and different parts of the working economy. And I think that it's important to see this. This is an, a government perspective, but I think it's also important to see if we are, was this only government employees? I didn't, I couldn't tell from the, from the. I couldn't tell for the article either. It was a little piece and it, it just talked about others, but I don't know. Yeah. So, but either way, I think that I think it's really important to note that we have had several different large-scale studies. This one, of course, is the largest in the UK, and we've gotten pretty good feedback from people. Now, again, these are short-term studies. We need to see longer-term effects. Uh, ultimately, I think that giving people the ability to work in and where they're going to be best capable of doing that work is the appropriate thing, which for most people is going to be wherever they are at that moment, whether that's in the office or at home and the circumstances of their life. And so we all need to be flexible and adaptive as employers in that in the face of that. And I think that rubbles, rubs a lot of employers uh, the wrong way. And unfortunately, I think in a job market like this with, with the pandemic, you know, and everything else like that, it's just the right recipe for us to push this forward. I know the article notes that, you know, it's far from going to become the norm, but I don't think so. I think it's actually becoming the norm in a lot of ways for a lot of organizations. And we're gonna have a pendulum swing back. We've we've seen that with some major companies, but for the most part, we're, we've, we've seen the introduction of it working for people. And I think more and more people are going to want that. And more and more employers are going to want to use that as a mechanism to both attract and retain employees. And All I right, think, I'll talk. And I think, oh, go ahead. Sorry. And I think this, you know, four days a week, remote, hybrid, whatever is going to be, the different companies are going to adopt different things that match on their styles. But at the end of the day, four weeks or hybrid and stuff is here to stay. Absolutely. And that leads us on to asynchronous work and this article from uh, PS News out of uh I love this Australia. article. So as a person who who coach and and work with organizations and help implementations with NOSBE, NOSBE is basically a tool designed for asynchronous work. That was how this tool was created. You know, NOSBE as a company is a no-office company. They don't have headquarters they have 17 employees all over the world and that's how the company was created and that's how their tool was envisioned and as a certified expert it is very interesting when you start working with organizations and allow them to see those possibilities especially at the higher levels but um everybody benefits but but especially at the higher level and right now working with uh manufacturing in Ecuador, in Latin America, okay, where 
the manufacturing obviously is asynchronous. Okay, the manufacturing is when it's happening, when it's hot, but everything else in the organization is moving to this asynchronous mo model. Okay, and this article really bring the principles. You know, you need to establish the communication, how you're going to communicate very well, you know, leverage the communication tools, then keep a schedule and a task list. People need to know. And then define the roles and the expectations. And one of the things when you put a tool like Nosby is that you change that communication from that close communication and cover my back, okay, email, FYI, so I'm trying to cover my work, to an open communication. So instead of focusing into what is the weakest link, you focus into what are the strengths of the other to move much faster. It's a great article. Yeah, I think it's it, I think it's a good article. And it, the, the funny part is that all four of these tips that they provide are actually also really good tips for any organization to adopt, whether or not you're doing asynchronous work or not. So I think that it's just a refresher for all of us that, I mean, I just, I can't imagine going into a company and not establishing a means of communication, whether the work was asynchronous or not, right? Like it would just, it would make no sense to me. And so it's really good to get these refreshers, to get these reminders that we should be establishing these things with folks. I currently have that, uh, you know, happening in my own company where I'm, I'm thinking through, well, okay, we have all of this technology and all these different ways in which we can communicate. Let's start clipping away the, the, yeah, we'll use this once in a while kind of thing and just say, no, we're not using this at all, right? The only means with which we should communicate are these things. And the reasons we communicate are for these reasons. And formalizing that and codifying it for everybody really reduces stress. And I appreciate that a lot for, for everyone being able to say, oh, you know what? I don't need to worry about this communication type for work. I can just focus on this one and you know, the world will keep spinning. We'll keep communicating and everything will be fine. So- all right, on to our next article. Articles make use of, and it's how to choose the ideal number of work hours. And, you know, Rick, the article goes into, okay, well, we can see their data hours a day. Calculate your current hours. How much are you really working? You know, decide what are the perfect hours and experiment different work days. I did a similar exercise to that many, many years ago when I decide that I wanted my work to allow me certain flexibilities. Okay? And the flexibilities were related to the kids. Okay? I wanted to be able to drop the kids to school. I wanted to be able to pick them up to school. Okay? Those were my two things. And certain things have expanded over the years, but those two things were the main things. And that went into negotiation at that time and negotiation every time. After that, I don't get to the office before this hour and I don't, and I leave between this time and this time, so I can pick the kids, I can take lunch to the kids, I can, and after their lunch and all black, I can come back. And and even before that, I I had the I had a work that well, for the nature of the work was a lot of hours. And I established to clients, to everybody, that between five and six thirty, my phone was simply unavailable. And why? Because that was the time that I had to have dinner with the kids, blah, 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 blah. And at 6.30, I'd pick my, pick my phone again. And it's very funny, years later after this, and having now a completely different schedule to this day, if I sit on the table, again, okay, I pick my phone, the first question my two kids ask is, is this work? Because that is the only exception to phone on the table. But it's very good because they... You know, that's something that I'm very proud. They, I I will have never there to tell to ask my father. My father will have bring a cell phone to the table. I will have never asked to there if he was working or doing something else. And the fact that they can ask and the fact that they, you know, they ask, Tomas asks his sister, you know, are you are you studying? Are you working? Otherwise, phone is not allowed. You know, that's a healthy thing. But it's part of understanding what is this number of hours and what you want to do with these hours instead of letting technology and the phone and everything else run over everything. Absolutely. No, I think it's really good for us to be able to identify, I mean, just like biological prime time, like, you know, identifying when you do your best work, you, it also is how much work can you actually accomplish in any given day? And I tend to calculate that on the week. 
because my routines every day help kind of buffer the amount of work I can do in any given day. So I'm aware of that. And that is one mechanism for being able to do that is just understand your routines, creating routines that support the work you need to get done. And then from day to day, you build up into kind of a weekly bucket of work that you can do. And as a, as a GTD, or it makes a lot of sense to me just because I'm working from week to week. But I think it works for most people. I mean, every everyone follows pretty much the same uh, seven day week. And, uh, you know, and, and traditionally, we're working uh, several of those days each week, and then taking off some amount of, of days thereafter. Whether you're part-time or full-time, you know, most people are working five to six days and then having uh, one to two days off. And so, you know, you, you learn this kind of tempo. And I guess it makes a lot of sense for you to like consider how many hours can you actually get done in a day of, of like real work, right? Not, not coffee cooler discussion, uh, not back and forth, uh, you know, trivial work, but really important work for you. And then considering uh, what that means for your output on a regular basis. All right, on to our next story. Our next story, it's an article from Joseph Wells, josephwells.com. I don't know how we came to this article. I don't know if I share it with you, you share it with me, or I don't, I don't remember, to be honest with you. But the, then the title of the article's action is everything. And I thought it was an incredible reminder as we are coming now to the summer and everything else for for everybody, for me. You know, the story, just will stay in the story. You know, he said the thermometer reads 19 degrees. The wind whipped louder than the wave on the, on the beach. And he is frozen you know he just want to be warm and and he's saying okay well, what do we do do we wait you know there was a friends who invite him to go to mountain and they're now frozen you know he said you know forget the food forget the fire i want my, to feel my finger on my toes and there is a very crude image you know when you said forget the fire and forget the, the food you know and i want to feel my toes but there is a lot of people who are on that place where all that they want is to feel those fingers and toes. And where he goes is the answer is action. And he tells the story, how they pack, how they move so they could finish the, the trail they were doing and they could get back to warm themselves up. And during crisis, during times of frustration, it is very hard to remember that that's the best solution and the best step forward. So again, it's an article to remind all of us how important that is. Yeah, and the article starts off saying that it was 19 degrees. And so for those of you who are uh, in in metric, uh, that's 19 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> I, I first read it and I thought, he, I'm presuming he means Fahrenheit and not Celsius. So uh, this is a person probably in the States. Um, okay, on to our next article. Yeah, that's minus seven Celsius for whoever is wondering. So it was <laughs> yes, very exactly. cold. Very, very chilly. So the next article is there is no uh, blueprint for grief. And, you know, the last weeks has been as the article said unfathomable you know that is the definition according to the articles also in the Merriam Webster it's not capable of being fathomed immeasurable impossible to comprehend and the article is written from a psychiatrist and it's talking about well, how really it's okay to grieve and it's okay to grieve on your way you know as as a family who has been going recently through grief, you know, as my father-in-law passed recently, it was a great reminder, you know, and with all that is happening, you know, uh, Obalde and all these killings, it is important for all of us to remember there is no blueprint of that and there is no way to do it faster or better. Everyone grief in the best way they can. I, I found that the it was really interesting. She she says here, uh, quote, I sometimes worry that we have over-professionalized distress and over-pathologized how people respond to trauma, end quote. And I I can't I can't agree with it anymore. You know, I think that so so much of what mental health professionals, and it's not really to fault them, it's just that unfortunately in 
let's just use American society, we have uh, spent so many years undervaluing mental health and saying that mental health is not as important as physical health. And I use, always use the example, if all of a sudden I lopped my arm off and I was bleeding profusely, you would imagine that I need medical attention. But if I said that I was depressed, clinically depressed, you, you don't probably have the same feeling about how urgent it is for me to be able to seek care. And both require immediate urgent care. And so the, the industry then kind of took a a pendulum swing and tried to really professionalize everything. And it made this kind of like weird place where now we all think about all of these different things as being, um, everything has to have a formula. Everything has to have a method. Everything has to empirically be empirically based in order for anyone to do anything. And it's like, no, for the rest of us, for us normal humans, we just have to experience grief the way that we experience it. And it's a part of our productivity in so many ways, right? You know, if we are, if we don't deal with our grief, it can sometimes consume our focus and attention and hurt us long-term. And I think it's really important for us to keep that in mind as we uh, all deal with all of the different types of trauma, all the different types of grief, all the different types of distress, really, uh, that we come into contact with. So I, I find that to be very um, fascinating in that sense. All right, onward. Are we, are we going to be onward. doing the McKinsey study, um, McKinsey article? I thought we were going, yes. I skip it for some reason. Sorry. No worries. Hop back over to that one. Go for it. There is a McKenzie article on the list to say, if we are all so busy, why anything is getting done? And the first paragraph says, you know, with endless meetings, in instant email, thousands of companies have mastered the art of unnecessary interactions, winning the next whining in the next normal require much more focus and collaboration. You know, it was a very interesting article and I don't know what, what made me, why I didn't close, whatever. But what can be done? Because what I see with my clients, exactly what this article described, you know, they are meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. And now I have seen a lot of my clients Assume that it's normal, have one phone call on the left ear and one phone call on the right ear. And no, no, that's not normal. Okay. I mean, fine, you're doing it, but that is not normal. That should not be. It should not be that you are triple booked and then decide to go to two calls at the same time. That is not normal. That means that's a two people job, not a one people job. But we are getting that, and what it's producing is exactly what this title it says. These people is ridiculously busy for 10, 12 hours, but they have nothing to show up at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I, I can kind of understand it on some level. I, I've seen so many times in, in, a, in a more corporate, you know, uh, uh, position where you go in at the start of the day and, and I would get in the office before everybody else did because of that fear that people would just suck up your time while you were actually there. And so between seven and nine and six and nine, I would get all of my work done. And then the middle of the day was just basically meetings and BS, right? Mm -hmm. It was, it was really, really difficult. And at times I would like, I would lock my door at, in my office and you know, put an out of office message in my email and be really, really quiet. So everybody just thought I wasn't there so that I could actually get work done. And, you know, that. like, you know, it's like that kind of stuff where it's like, you know, people just want us to soak up time for things that are not critical work. And these interactions ultimately um, hurt your productivity. I push back a little bit on the sense that some of this is really important for a former type of culture. And I think that as we move into kind of a new phase, we need to understand how to build culture that that doesn't only require in-person time. That is, it still requires one-to-one um, -one real-time interactions. Like here now, between you and I, we both see and, and can speak to each other. Those of you who are watching or listening after the facts, it's asynchronous. But the, the reality is, is that FaceTime and the ability to kind of interact with people is important. It's it's what allows us to be able to bond and do all those other things. But I, I really, I really, I understand it. I feel, I feel that pain on a lot of. No, levels. no, 
I feel it. As you were describing that, you remind me how much I used to love fly from Miami to LA or LA to Miami, because basically I could download my emails, okay, get into that plane. And by the end of that flight, everything was taken care. And I just connected the web, let everything go. It was incredibly. But, and I remember when I stopped to change roles and I stopped flying that much, going to lunch that I still do it. Okay? I still go one day of the week and I bring laptop, sit in a restaurant. Okay. And I technically I'm out of the office and I'm really, what I do is catching up. And, but it's true that if you don't set those times and you don't have those skills to block certain of those times, then everything turns into a meeting. And yeah, I, like you, I begin those days. I used to begin my day at four in the morning and I joke, but it was very serious that I accomplished most days more from four in the morning to 7 a.m. than the rest of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. On to our next article from Better Humans. From Better, from Better Humans, seven steps to skyrocket your energy. And it was interesting, you know, optimize your circadian rhythm was the first one. Uh, you know, but the second one was where where I got interested. Uh, you know, I they took caffeine timing and they said, okay, avoid caffeine from the first 90 minutes and then avoid caffeine 10 hours before you go to bed. Okay. That it's not a lot of, not a big caffeine window for, for people. But what was interesting for me is a year ago, I decided to quit coffee. Okay. And I was drinking 10 to 14 shot of espresso a day. Okay. Whatever that is in caffeine. And I was completely immune to caffeine. You know, I was just because I liked the hot thing and the taste, not because it was doing really anything for me. And what is interesting is a year later, I keep still one coffee and it's my week review. Okay. If I have a week review, I make a coffee and, and all that. And it's still to this day, I'm continuing. I can have that coffee and that doesn't wake me up. That doesn't do any of these things. And I was always jealous of those who say, oh, if I have a coffee at 2 p.m., I will not sleep until tomorrow. <laughs> always jealous of those. But they go into that. But, but again, if you're sensible, pay attention to those three points. You know, nutrition, that I cannot agree more. You know, work on your ultradium rhythm, rhythm and plan. You know, and they say, take time each evening to plan the following day. And I have said that we need to learn not to deal with terrorists. You know, the person who plan what time you're going to work in the morning is not the same terrorist who wake up when the alarm sound, okay? That guy in the morning, you need to be treated as a terrorist. There's no negotiation. The time was established and we're moving forward. Fantastic. Okay, onward to our next and final productivity article. How to successfully balance full-time job and a side hustle without burnout. I have done this for many years. And I think it's a matter to, you know, I, I agree with certain things on the article, you know, plan your time carefully, you know, don't. But for example, the second one was don't blur the boundaries. You know, I I have never had those Boundaries. I have never had, oh, this is the time for personal. This is the time for work. I, But what I will say is don't blur the devices. Because when you blur the devices, it's very hard for the brain to make the switch. If you have two jobs and you have two different devices, your brain will connect immediately in which device and therefore which work it needs to do. And you will work much efficiently. It's similar to what I've been saying for years, have a browser for work and a browser to play. If you are the person who handle more than one job or one job and a side job, get a different device for each. And that will allow your brain to make a much better connection. Yeah, I've made the determination not to have different devices for every, like, you know, 
business, so to speak, but I have the different browsers. And so each browser is coded and colored. And so each, everywhere I can color it, the color is always the same. So I see the color mm -hmm. on every place that I'm working and that clues my brain in immediately that that's for this kind of work and nothing else. And there are times when it does have to blur over because you know some account won't log in at that moment inside of this Chrome profile. And so I've got to go to the other Chrome profile to log in that kind of nonsense. But uh, you know, it really does help you kind of put your your blinders on and focus on that type of work and clue into it very, uh, very quickly. I, I liked generally the advice here. Uh, you know, I think that hearing some people talk about having, like there was one article about a, a gentleman who had uh, two full-time jobs and he was working without the other employers knowing that he had the two jobs. And he was doing it because he had worked himself into debt and was trying to get out of the debt. And it was just, it made a lot of sense. Um, and he still does it to this day. And like, it's like he works for an insurance company doing something. And then he works for some other company doing something else, uh, a, a furniture company. And uh, was that a New York times article? I can't remember, but they, they, he, he didn't tell, give his identity for purposes of not letting either right. employer know he was doing this, but the way in which he couched it was that as long as he had time bucketed, throughout the day for each of the positions, he was able to really navigate so that meetings didn't overlap. And that was his biggest issue is that he needed to make phone calls during a specific period of time of the day, and he needed to be able to have meetings with his primary employer. So I think it depends on the primary job and it depends on the side hustle, how you kind of keep those pieces in mind. Uh, being my own boss, you know, I don't have that kind of uh, imposed structure, right? I can I can use my time how I want to throughout the day, uh, aside from you know client meetings and so on and so forth. And so, just knowing how your primary work needs to be done, and your if you have a side hustle, how that's going to be done, I think it's just a matter of sitting down and thinking through. Okay, what needs to be done in what time frames, and can you can those not be in conflict? Right, because it's where the conflict happens that's right. the problem, and then you can you can deal with it otherwise. And just recognize there's going to be times when you're going to have issues. Right, there's just going to be issues on occasion, and you just have to deal with those things. All right, we have uh, completed our productivity articles for the show. That means we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor this week, Co-working Space by Personal Productivity Club. And when we get back, we'll do the tech articles and then our story of the week. We'll see you after the break. While working in person may be normal for you, it's unlikely your coworkers are as interested in being productive as you are. Or working remotely or from home can be isolating. And there's something powerful about being with productive people, even virtually, that helps you be more engaged. If a flavor of these sounds familiar, Coworking Space by Personal Productivity Club is for you. Coworking Space is a virtual work community designed to help members be more effective and efficient in their work and personal lives. At its core, we provide goal tracking and host focused action sessions throughout the week for accountability and camaraderie. Visit anythingbutidle.com forward slash coworking to learn more. Coworking Space lives inside Personal Productivity Club, a digital community for personal productivity enthusiasts, so you can find people who use methods and tools you do too. Again, head over to anythingbutidle.com forward slash coworking to see how Coworking Space can help you be more productive. And now, back to our show. Welcome back, everybody, to Anything But Idle. I'm Ray Sidney Smith, joined with Augusto Pinaud for the second half of the show in which we are going to talk about the technology articles this week. Augusto, what is our first tech story? So iPhone and Apple people can now download Google TV from the App Store and buy and connect and see stuff. And this is great. You know, I... This will improve, one, I think you should be able, regardless of the device, you know, being able to access the Google, the Netflix, the Amazon, the Apple, and everything else, and pick which one is the one you like the most. And I think finally having this, it's going to be good for Google. It's going to be good for the Apple TV. It's going to be good for everyone. When the tide race, all the ships in there go up. 
Well, I just I'm so pleased because I have a Google TV at home and, you know, my phone, mm -hmm. of course, gives me the ability to control the television. Uh, we have a, a shield, you know, running the television, uh, which has Google TV on it. And of course, I pull up in my iPad, which I like to have when I'm watching television, just, you know, kind of doing other things. I'm, I'm not able to control the television from the iPad. Uh, and it was very frustrating. And so they're, they're solving that kind of problem where you have multiple different mobile platforms inside of the same household it just makes sense for uh, apple to have approved the google tv app within the app store and so i'm i'm glad to see i'm not sure what took so long whether that was a google problem or an apple you know belligerence i'm just glad to see them working together and both with matter right and supporting the matter iot world but now with having google tv in the app store means that ios users don't have to suffer if they live in a household where they have an android shield or a google tv product running their their television there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to i mean i have i, I, I have multiple different tv platforms on my connected to my television so you know what i mean like i want to be able to use any device to to manage any of them so i think it's important for uh apple to and google to just give us what we want, <laughs> which is ease of use. All right, on to our next story. The PWAs on Chromebook may soon support multiple in-app tabs. You know, I wish that that means we are going to be able to put tab by tab, side by side, because that's the best way to see certain things. But the idea that, you know, this was a, apparently a long feature longly requested in 2018. Finally, it's coming in 2022. And it you are going to be able to have one app, one PWA to have those multiple tabs. There are things that I don't want to have on the browser that I really love, that I can do a PWA, that I can do even a PWA on, on my iPad. I, you know, as a NOSB certified expert, I love the fact that I have the iOS app, but even better, okay, that I can run that one as the developer version, and then I have a PWA that runs the stable version. So if I am working, I always have a stable version, and it's a fantastic way to have two applications installed in my iPad. Yeah, no, I, I'm very, I'm very excited to see this. I mean, the example they give is actually one that I would use all the time, which is the Twitter true. app. Yeah, the Twitter application just having multiple tabs open. What would be really nice if Twitter was able to, like Google, have multiple instances of different Twitter accounts open at the same time. It doesn't allow that. You have to be installed, you know, logged into only one at a time. Although, uh, for those who don't know, uh, for you know, we're all about productivity here, right? Like if you have multiple Twitter accounts, you can log in up to five Twitter accounts in the same browser. And then you can just switch between those. Uh, and it's very simple, easy, and I, I love it because I do have multiple Twitter accounts. Of course, I have many, many more Twitter accounts than five. Uh, so <laughs> I am, I am, I'm a little frustrated by the five limitation, but for most of you, you should be able to log into your one or two different Twitter accounts in the same browser, and you could just switch back and forth between them. Having a PWA support multiple tabs means that you could have your home feed open in multiple lists, which means that you could get rid of your your home. I, I don't know who follows their home feed. Uh, you shouldn't. You know, create a specific lists and follow those lists so you're seeing the tweets you want to see from the people you want to see strategically, and then get the heck out of Dodge, right? And so the idea here is to be very strategic with your time as it relates to these things and having multiple tabs gives you that that control but i could see a whole bunch of places like for example asana asana has you know each workspace is weird and each project is weird kind of switching back and forth between things i could have the asana pwa app you know open so to speak and then have different tabs for different projects open and then you're not losing the, the the work that you need to get done. I like having each of those projects open, but that means I have to have a browser tab open for each of them in order to be able to run it. The desktop app doesn't allow me to. So it's really nice to be able to have that kind of uh, flexibility. So I'm hoping this actually, the, the code that they're seeing actually comes into play uh, in, in the next release. All right, next up. Next up is finally Google Drive on the web will allows you to do copy, cut, and paste. What took that long? I don't know, but it's finally there. You will be able to do that. And if that will not be enough reasons 
to be happy, Google Drive finally fixed my biggest complaint with Google Drive. That is, you drop a file in there, and if you don't remember the name, it's impossible to find because their location is this mystery, okay, that it makes no sense to me. I like folders and files and put my things in little boxes inside of little boxes, and Google Drive has never allowed me to do that. But now, finally, will tell me the location of my file, and that will allow me to maybe put some organization to that craziness that they create. So I'm I am happy. very happy with those two things. I'm going to throw a little bit of water on this for some of you out there. So uh, controller command C, V, and X are all going to be operating and working well with files inside of Google Drive on the web. They will not work for folders. So you cannot copy and paste a folder. You can't cut a, a folder uh, and, and place it somewhere else. You still need to right-click, move, or click on it and use the menus to move it manually through the system. Or which what I most do in the, on the web is you find where you want it to go on the left-hand navigation, open up the folder, and then drag the folder from there to the, to the location. But you can't copy or cut it and then paste it where you want it to go. Uh, and, and that's just a continued limitation of the browsers. I'm hoping they get there and really get us to a place where they can do that. Uh, but that's a, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. When you copy and or cut something from the browser, you're doing a lot of stuff in the back end. And just if your internet connection is not good, all of those things, they're truly, really trying to work to around those things. And I fully agree with you. I'm really glad they finally fixed the uh, showing your file location. Like it just, it made no sense that they didn't show your file location more easily. And so um, giving you the ability to do that now, I think is great. All right, on to Chrome 102. Okay, 102 arrived. Um, you know, they allowed you now to reorder the tabs. You can do shortcuts. You can capture control tabs. You know, they did a lot of things. They also um, improved the screen magnification. You know, uh, the USB-C cable now let you know, hey, this cable is not the cable that you should use for display properly or to even when you connect a low-power charger, they tell you, hey, this is a low-power charger. All that is great. So this day, Google decide to make the default this program that they call Cursive. That's now an app. By default, if your machine do not install it by default, you can go to the link and open uh, Google Lounge that application uh, with HP Chromebook X2. Fantastic. Except that for a reason that I don't understand, Google took the decision to limit this thing to Chromebooks. Really, you have an incredible platform, okay? The ability to be the first application who works seamlessly, okay, between the Macs, PC, okay, Mac, let's say Mac doesn't have handwriting, but PCs do, Chromebooks, and iPad. You made a PWA. Why? Or you need to be like that and don't allow it to run on every machine. Sorry, this is not a limitation on the browser of the technology. It's a decision that somebody makes that it makes no sense from my humble perspective. Yeah, I don't know why they made this decision. When I was I was thinking about it, I was thinking that perhaps it's because of the, the machine learning um, that they're doing uh, and whether they're doing it on the device or whether they're doing it in the cloud and and whether or not that made a difference i i'm i'm likely to fall on your side here though which is to say that they could have probably pushed the envelope to make this work just across the board as a pwa and taken out the features that maybe wouldn't work um i can't imagine i can't imagine that the the little bit of ml that it's doing would cause that much of a hiccup. And besides, if if it works on if it works on a Chromebook with you know low powered resources, it's certainly going to work on a on a Mac. Uh, you know, so you know with with 
um, strong hardware. So I'm I'm curious why they made that decision. I'm I'm guessing they made it to just give Chromebooks an edge for a while, uh, and then eventually they'll they'll make it broader, and then it'll be oh look they're they're making it they're expanding it to the rest of of devices across the board. Now again these these this does require you to be able to have a stylus to be able to write on screen. So you know not making it available to the to other devices may be a, a an OEM issue, right? Which is that only so many OEMs are going to support the stylus or the styli that are necessary for it. So either way, I'm, I'm glad to see it. I also will note that one of the things that quite, kind of quietly rolled out in 102 is that now uh, PWAs, I know we keep talking about the PWAs, but really they're the future. Uh, and uh, I'm sure we're going to get some more um, hate comments, but uh, <laughs> but the reality is, is that uh, PWAs got the ability to um, do file handling. So you can now set a file type to a PWA in Chrome 102, which means that you can say, hey, you know what, this PWA for my mail app now can be tied to email files. So when I click on the default mail handler to send this type of file, it can actually get picked up by an application and uh, and then, you know, be be used by that application. So you can you if, like if you have a .eml file, you can tie the .eml file to the Outlook PWA. So when you open it from the browser, it'll automatically register that and open it in the PWA. So I'm I'm really excited here to see like there are some PWA uh, photo editors. Uh, there are some really good PWA video editors, and now you can tie those file types to your PWA. And instead of it opening an Android application or opening in the browser, it's now opening in the PWA directly. And that, that just, is awesome. That really puts the pieces of the puzzle together now. And and now the drag and drop. I mean, a lot of people don't know, but now the drag and drop between web browser windows, capable of dragging a file from one web browser. Uh, you know, window to another and into the system, that's going to be very, very powerful as well. I mean, they're becoming full-fledged application ecosystems. Uh, so I'm hoping they're paying attention to security. I hope they're paying attention to the details to make sure that PWAs aren't causing me stress when I'm trying to do stuff and not having features. Um, here's looking at you, Microsoft, with Outlook. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we'll get to that when we get to the featured story. But, you know, the, the reality is, is that we're, we're seeing far, far more powerful PWAs and we're seeing now the underpinnings, the infrastructure of giving us this kind of native file handling. So very excited to see. All right, on to our next story. Well, our next story is also about the Chromebook. And as school are ending, people are thinking, okay, should I buy a computer for next year? Should I buy a computer for my kids in the summer? Are Chromebooks good? And there are a couple of things I say. And you need to understand that if your kid get a Chromebook on the school, your kid is getting getting most likely the lowest of the lowest of the lowest uh, of the Chromebooks, okay? But there are many things that the Chromebooks can do and for which they are very, very good. You know, you can run Linux. You can do shortcuts. You can do gesture for productivity. You can have virtual desktops, you know, dark mode, linked to Android phones. And the reality is that, it's not, if you need to run Windows or Mac apps, yeah, it's not. But for most of what most kids are going to do, play Roblox, play Minecraft, they will be able to do it in that thing perfectly well and for a quarter of the cost. Well, if you had a Chromebook with Windows 365, technically you could run Windows on a Chromebook. <laughs> yeah. But but no, I, I think that I think that it's really important to remember that the Chrome OS platform is becoming more and more robust robust every day. And we're seeing a platform that can run on ARM chips and run really competent software. And that becomes a very uh you know uh uh, interesting competitor to the other desktop operating systems. Uh, and, you know, for, let's call it a semi-open source, you know, it's not really open source, uh, you know, in terms of operating system because it's Google Chrome, uh, Google on top of the Chromium OS op operating system. Uh, but we do have Chromium OS. And, uh, and with Chromium OS, we have all of the other Linux distributions out there in the world. And I, we already know that Linux runs 
most of the world's computers because most of the world's computers are actually servers. And so that a lot of them are running uh, Linux. And I'm always interesting, or Linux distro, I mean, because really Linux is the kernel. Uh, on top of that is really the, the operating system. And so I'm just really interested to see, like in five years' time, where Chrome OS will be comparative to Windows, at that point, I guess, Windows uh, uh, 11 or 12, I guess 12 or 13, that is. And we'll see, we'll see Mac OS in uh, a couple more variations forward and probably on an M3 or M4 chip. And, uh, and so we're going to start to see some really interesting things kind of play into this market. And I think a lot of it plays well for our personal productivity because we're actually capable of taking this tech and starting to bleed away the differences between the different operating systems in terms of core functionality. They can all probably do the same things. It'll be these uh, kind of nice to have features, the, these preferential features that get built on top of the platforms. And I see Apple doing more of this than Microsoft. And but I see Chrome really bringing up the rear guard and really working to to create seamless experiences. For example, you know they're starting to connect the phones to the Chrome OS operating system. Apple's had that for many years, uh, but it's nice to see Chrome OS do this. Windows keeps saying they're going to do it. They keep saying they're going to push it out. I have not seen the connectivity with Windows 11 and my Android phone, and I would really like to see more of that be real. Like, you know, they keep talking about it. They keep showing off these fun features, but I haven't actually seen it work in my own world. I want to be able to pull up an Android application on my Windows 11 machine and just use it. Uh, so I really look forward to seeing some of these pieces come together in that sense. All right, on to our next story, some good reader news, good e-reader news. Oh, the next one is e-readers news. And Amazon is uh, trying a new reading mode called the Bionic Reading, where they are trying to make the letters. Amazon has been playing for a while with the funds and trying to find better phones, they, the name's escaping me right now, but they even create one form for people who is dyslexic so they could read and use the product and use Kindle. And this one is designed to ease the reading so you can stay reading longer. And basically what it do is highlight part of the word and, and then the other part of the word is lighter. And what try to create with that is that it moved to artificial points on the focus as you are reading. So it's a very interesting thing what they're trying to do. It's not yet for the iPhone, uh, the Kindle, but I'm sure it's a matter of time for that to be implemented on that API from Amazon in many other places. Yeah, I think that if it can help uh, dyslexics, uh, people with dyslexia, I think if it can help uh, folks who uh, are are interested in reading consistently, I think those are good things there. I, I always worry about these, you know, uh, speed reading gimmicks, uh, and so, uh, but but we'll see. I think this but, is. This but is they cool. mentioned they mentioned this is not a speed reading. Right, they right. they they mentioned on that this is not meant to do speed reading. It's meant to help keeping you focusing or right. focused on what you are reading. Absolutely. Yep. I, I like it. I like the, I like the concept. It, it sounds sound and uh, I look forward to seeing it work. All right. On to Barnes and Noble, uh, introducing a new e-reader to compete with the this Kindle. article because I needed to ask the question. Okay. Barnes and Noble's introduced a quote unquote cheap e-reader to compete with the Kindle, but their cheap e-reader, it's really, well, $30 more than the cheapest Kindle and $20 less than the Paperwhite. So yeah, it is cheaper comparing to what they had before, but why are you going to buy that unless you have hate from Amazon? In which case, go and buy Kobo. But are, it, I'm going I to stay in my soapbox and say nothing. Yeah, I imagine this this has to do with you being uh, like if you're a Barnes and Noble member and you're paying for the subscriber membership and the e-reader is giving you the the additional benefits. I think it I think it more is a is a I I'm already paying, you know, whatever it is every year to be a Barnes and Noble member and the discounts and all of the other privileges that come along with that membership tied to the e-reader. That's 
the best argument I can make for this, <laughs> this, this Nook Glowlight 4E. Uh, you know, it's, it really doesn't make a lot of sense otherwise, right? And, uh, and you're talking about a smaller catalog on the Nook in terms of eBooks. Mm-hmm. You're talking about being outside of really the norm in almost every category. I'm appreciative that Barnes and Noble is still doing this. I mean, it's giving Amazon competition and, uh, and I think, you know, Kobo does well enough um, to stay as competition to the, to the Kindle ecosystem, but you can't have a, a you know, basically a, a monoculture when it comes to uh, literature, right? Because all it takes is one despot to come out and do something to Amazon and then eBooks disappear and start to disappear from, uh, from the world's democracies. So I am, I am comfortable with having, you know, an option, uh, even if it's not the best option coming out of Barnes and Noble. And I hope that they stay uh, purely for that reason. You know, uh, what, who's, uh, is it the New York Times that says democracy dies in the dark? You know, really, uh, you know, if we, if we don't have an educated, uh, you know, populace and we are not putting books in the hands of people to be literate and to, and to be discerning, then we get, you know, where we are right now, you know, in the, in at least the United States, uh, where, where we are on the precipice of this weird political, uh, environment where, you know, we have basically fascists, you know, uh, angling and, and not to be political, but, you know, like you're either an American and a patriot, uh, or you're not. Um, and, you know, like part of this is really a literacy issue low literacy to be specific. And this has nothing to do with college degrees or pedigree or anything else like that. Really, we just need to have literate Americans and uh, and they would see through uh, kind of this this farce. And so, you know, I think that ties back to this Nook Glowlight 4E because we need to have as many different options and opportunities to make it easy for people to be able to read and have access to literature. So I, you know, I, I feel bad, but I also... Feel bad for Barnes and Noble in some way, shape, or form, but I also am glad that they're there. <laughs> All right, on to Google and the Meet and Duo saga. I'm going to let you talk about that because I remember show past, and I should have looked what was the, the show, and I didn't. Where we talk about that, and we said, "Oh well, you know, they're not going to do that," and here comes my. Dear Google friends, doing that. Yeah, so so I'm not quite sure the article is as um, up to date as I think. Well, maybe it's more up to date than I have known it to be. But basically, the current Meet application is going to be called Meet Original, and the Google Duo app, which is the video calling app service, is going to become Meet in some other fashion. I'm not sure whether it's going to be Meet Duo or, or whatever else. Um, but my understanding is that the Duo app is going to be called Google Meet, and then Google Meet's going to become become Meet Original. And I don't know if that's like set in stone, but Google Meet's going to get a bunch of Duo features, and Google Duo is going to get a bunch of Meet features, and we're all going to be confused for a very good amount of time. That's That's the best I can say. <laughs> for all of this. I, I think it makes a lot of sense, though. Google is attempting to take um, the best of their application ecosystems and merge them together. And I still don't understand why they didn't just upgrade Hangouts by rebuilding it from the ground up to be Google Meet and to be Google Duo and to whatnot, and then just take everything that was Hangouts and called Google Meet Hangouts, right? They could have done all the building in the background and then just replaced the services over time. And it would have been seamless for us as users, but they kind of just kept pulling different pieces apart and putting pieces back in. And it really didn't make a lot of sense. And I still don't see an end game here. And I know we've talked about this about 25 episodes ago, you know, where I sat back and thought, yeah, they just, I just, I just don't understand. Why do they do this? And I still don't, I still don't understand. And I don't think there is a good way to understand what their end game is here, but I hope I hope that when they're all done with Google Meet and Meet Original, we have a cohesive application that allows us to be able to communicate with people. And I don't know whether that includes chat, Google Chat, that is, uh, and where really that all comes down. But we're going through the change, so buckle up. All right, on to uh, yeah, on to Google Chat. 
Google Chat now and, and warns um, a manner to protect against phishing and is letting you know, hey, this invite is suspicious and all that. You know, all help people can get, I think, is good. I I haven't seen it or haven't seen any of that. I don't know if you have. I've not yet, but I only communicate with people uh, that I know inside of Google Chat. And yeah. so you you may have seen this already in Gmail, not you, Augusto, but anyone who's heavily using Google Workspace uh, with external parties. You may have seen this in Gmail. You may have also seen this in Google Drive. It's the same set of notifications and the same level of malware and or phishing uh, you know, basically suspicious activity that it sees happening. Um, and uh, I'll also note that if you're a Google Workspace administrator, really pay attention to your virus total reports. So if you're if you're receiving those virus total reports, uh, if you're not, you can go ahead and turn them on if you're in a plan that supports virus total, and uh, and and pay attention because you'll see when someone overrides these links and accepts them anyway and whether or not they then become the source of an infection in the inside the company so it is really important to kind of pay attention to some of these things it flashes you know those orange banners that says hey by the way you're communicating without external party and or hey this is an external party this may be a phishing email and then also now the red banners that are hey like this seems like this is a link you don't want to click on so those kinds of things people need to pay attention to you can't become numb to it uh, because then that's how you become susceptible mm -hmm. to a lot of these attacks all right yeah. on to youtube well now to youtube how youtube is built a better way to connect with your tv you know and and it's a hey remote sucks and YouTube is trying very hard to try. And, you know, we were talking at the beginning of the show how having the Google TV on the iOS, you know, make it better and having the ability, your TV connected with your phone, regardless if you're Android or iOS, and that bring or manage the YouTube in the TV, it is very nice. It is very nice to be able to do that, you know, and my, my kid used it with the iPad and that's how we used to go into YouTube in the TV. So I don't know if there is goes as far as a better way to connect, but without any doubt, a much clever way than what we had. I'm trying to remember there used to be a social network. It was an app and you could watch TV and you could like basically message while you were watching the show. And it was it basically ran parallel to Twitter. And then of course it eventually went away and Twitter just continued to be the place where people chat along while, you know, a live event is happening. But I really enjoyed that. I really appreciated that application to be able to say, Oh, you know what? I'm watching this show and I want to be able to kind of chat along. And I would do that many times in front of the television. That's what they're basically giving us the capability of doing through YouTube. Mm -hmm. And that means that YouTube live so here we are, we're broadcasting to YouTube Live and to Twitter Live and whatnot. Now you can literally sit in front of your television, watch, and chat along. And I think that's a really, really powerful uh, capability for all of us to be able to do. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the same features make their way toward other applications. So not just YouTube TV, but I want to be able to be on uh, on on any number of things and choose my commenting platform and be able to then uh, uh, broadcast to folks uh, different messaging. Um, you know, like, yeah, I just, I feel like, um, I, I just feel like I want to be able to sit with my iPad or sit with my phone, see what's on television and interact with that television in more engaging ways. And YouTube gives you that capability with, with the ability to comment in live chat. I want to see more of that. And I don't know how Hulu or Netflix or other places make that happen without having to like build social networks around their services, but it does bring a huge community around uh, their content. And I think that could be really valuable to people. So we shall see. All right. We're done with the tech news for We're the done day. with the tech news. We're done with the tech news. And so our next one is in the business and finance segment. And it's, there is a business wire had an article talking about how the worldwide personal development industry is expected to reach 67 billions by 2030. That is impressive. 
impressive. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. With that news out of the way, that takes us along to our featured story of the week, which is that Microsoft is putting out a new Outlook. I'm going to say that Outlook, at least on iOS, has improved significantly. I use Outlook for a couple of things, and I had a client where they everything doing Outlook, so it's connected. I have the Outlook in my iOS for them. And it has improved really significantly. Used to, I, I live in Outlook for many years until I bought the first Mac, and... I did not regret it, not have Outlook anymore. In Turge, that was worst, but that's another story. But what they have been done with Outlook has been done very well. What they are promising to integrate together in this new Outlook mail app, it makes sense. That's probably the app where next to Teams where you spend the most time if you live on a Microsoft environment. So... I think what they're announcing, it's very, very interesting, and I'm very looking forward to see it coming to reality. Yeah, so I, I'll be the bearer of bad news for some folks, which is that one outlook is coming with with a yeah, some nice features. I like the idea that you can drag email over to the sidebar and create to-dos and that kind of thing. There's some really nice features associated with it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they're bringing loop the loop framework, the, the fluid framework through loop into the in interface, which means that you'll be able to have these dynamic elements. Uh, and therefore, you know, you can embed uh, a, a uh, say a calendar. And if the calendar were to change, then in the email, the calendar item would also update. So you could see the, the things in real time. Uh, I, I think that concept of loop and and other pieces of the fluid framework making their way into into outlook which is probably the primary reason for them re archetyping the entire outlook that all makes sense but that also means that they're chopping away at so many core productivity features and so you're losing quick steps you're losing all kinds of access to features that hardcore outlook users are going to really be frustrated by so if you are one of those people, I would suggest you hold out on the one outlook for a very long time. Uh, certainly until we we take note on the show that they have they have brought back most of the core features. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, that that we as productivity folks, you know, for me, I, you know, when I train folks on Outlook, I'm talking about how do we utilize all of the aspects of the Outlook. Uh, experience, not just right. from an all-in-one productivity system perspective, which is email, calendar, tasks, uh, and and uh, being able to bring those pieces together with contacts with people. Uh, but then, okay, let's let's take that beyond that and set up both our rules so that we're be, be capable of filtering and forwarding uh, email and manipulating email upon receipt but also manually being able to choose what to do with things utilizing the signature functionality and quick steps and so i'm i'm hoping that microsoft you know understands what a what a fundamental shift it is for people to see this kind of interface change happen and especially for folks who are on mac because this is very different than the Mac experience for a lot of people. And I know that they've, they, they've had turned on the option to go to like the new Outlook for a long time, but that is not quite what, from what I'm seeing is actually one Outlook or Project Monarch. Mm -hmm. I so, don't think it is either. So I'm, I'm curious to see what they do in this next iteration to help migrate people over and really making this, I mean, I'll say this, the, the interface, the UX, and the UI are really nice. Like it's fluid, the movements, things look like where they should be, right? And uh, you can't say that about every piece of Outlook for Mac. Uh, Outlook for Windows is a little bit better, although I find it to be a little rigid in terms of its look. It just feels rigid. And it harkens back to that you know Metro look that they had going on there. But this is a lot softer. I like the softer feel to Outlook, especially if it's an application you got to look at all day long and um, all of those things. And I like the graphics. I like the I like the pieces and the elements of what they've put in. They've got, yeah, it's just, it's nicely done. I really like the design, but I'm really worried about the lack of features here in this first release. Now, this is just a beta. So hopefully they're going to be able to rapidly get 
all of the other core functionality from a productivity perspective back in, but I'm really, really hoping that's faster than, than slower. So uh, we shall see. Well, and with this, we come to the end of the show. There is a bunch of news because of all the launches, Google I.O., Microsoft, Apple. There is more than 30 more articles on the other news that the links will be there, including one that, well, as the Apple geek, that is going to be the first one on the other news list. And it's a WWDC 2022 a sketch note summary. I, I'm not a drawer. I don't know how to do these things, but this person got and create a full sketch note summary of WWDC, and it was very, very impressive. Yeah, it is very, very impressive. I, I highly recommend that if you want to check that out, uh, please, you know, if, you, if you're interested, check it out, because it is a very interesting uh, concept. It is um, very impressive. Yeah, yeah. All right, we've covered the productivity and technology news this and for several weeks past, uh, but thanks, Augusto, for putting together the show this and every week for the audience. My pleasure. Um, My pleasure. All right. All right, everybody, on anythingbutidle.com, as Augusto noted, you will find all of our extra stories that we couldn't cover today, but they also include links to all the stories we did cover today, so you can check them out if you need to. Uh, you can also find our uh, extra stories, as I said, and you'll find our text transcripts. Those are both readable on the page. Just click on that Read More link. It'll expand. You can read it right there while you're listening or watching along. You can also then download it offline as a PDF and read it offline if you'd like to. After looking at the show notes, uh, feel free to let us know if we missed anything. You know, stories may slip through the cracks. Uh, feel free to tweet or DM us at anything but idle on Twitter. You can also use our contact form on our website there on anythingidle.com forward slash contact. If you have a question or comment, same place, same uh, way, reach out to us through Twitter or the website. And, uh, and I just wanted to let you all know that we do actually have a community dedicated to anything but idle. And if you go to anythingbutidle.com forward slash community, you will find the community group inside of Personal Productivity Club, uh, which is the digital community for personal productivity enthusiasts, which I'm presuming you are if you're watching this. Uh, so you can join us over in Personal Productivity Club. It's free to join. We have a free community group for anything but idle. Just go to anythingbutidle.com forward slash community and join there. This is your first time watching. Feel free to subscribe to the channel or or follow the page or follow the profile, and you'll see us go live when we go live weekly. And if you're listening to the podcast, feel free to add us to your favorite podcast app of choice. That could be following on Apple, subscribing as well on any other platform. It's free. Once you subscribe, the new episodes drop, and that also includes a link back to the show notes in the episode uh, little um, blurb there for you. Uh, but with that. We really appreciate you watching, and we will see you all next time on Anything But Idle. Here's to your productive life. <laughs>